This one's for the warrior, Roy Benavidez. I have one more Vietnam story, and the individual in this story was brought up on a farm outside of Cureo in DeWitt County, Texas, and he is here today. Thanks to the Secretary of Defense, Cap Weinberger, I learned of his story, which had been overlooked or buried for several years. It has to do with the highest award our nation can give the Congressional Medal of Honor given only for service above and beyond the call of duty. Secretary Weinberger, would you please escort Sergeant Benavides forward? Ladies and gentlemen, we're honored to have with us today Master Sergeant Roy P. Benavides, U.S. Army, retired. Let me read the plain, factual, military language of the citation that was lost for too long a time. Master Sergeant Roy P. Benavides, United States Army, retired for conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity in action at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty. Where there is a brave man, it is said, there is the thickest of the fight. There is the place of honor. On May 2nd, 1968, Master Sergeant, then Staff Sergeant Roy P. Benavides, distinguished himself by a series of daring and extremely valorous actions while assigned to Detachment B-56, 5th Special Forces Group Airborne, 1st Special Forces, Republic of Vietnam. On the morning of May 2nd, 1968, a 12-man Special Forces Reconnaissance Team was inserted by helicopters in a dense jungle area west of Loc Ninh, Vietnam, to gather intelligence information about confirmed large-scale enemy activity. This area was controlled and routinely patrolled by the North Vietnamese Army. After a short period of time on the ground, the team met heavy enemy resistance and requested emergency extraction. Three helicopters attempted extraction, but were unable to land due to intense enemy small arms and anti-aircraft fire. Sergeant Vietnavides was at the forward operating base in Loc Ninh monitoring the operation by radio when these helicopters returned to offload wounded crew members and to assess aircraft damage. Sergeant Benavides voluntarily boarded a returning aircraft to assist in another extraction attempt. Realizing that all the team members were either dead or wounded and unable to move to the pickup zone, he directed the aircraft to a nearby clearing where he jumped from the hovering helicopter and ran approximately 75 meters under withering small arms fire to the crippled team. Prior to reaching the team's position, he was wounded in his right leg, face, and head. Despite these painful injuries, he took charge, repositioning the team members and directing their fire to facilitate the landing of an extraction aircraft and the loading of wounded and dead team members. He then threw smoke canisters to direct the aircraft to the team's position. Despite his severe wounds and under intense enemy fire, he carried and dragged half of the wounded team members to the awaiting aircraft. He then provided protective fire by running alongside the aircraft as it moved to pick up the remaining team members. As the enemy's fire intensified, he hurried to recover the body and the classified documents on the dead team leader. When he reached the team leader's body, Sergeant Benavides was severely wounded by small arms fire in the abdomen and grenade fragments in his back. At nearly the same moment, the aircraft pilot was mortally wounded and his helicopter crashed. Although in extremely critical condition due to his multiple wounds, Sergeant Benavides secured the classified documents and made his way back to the wreckage 
where he aided the wounded out of the overturned aircraft and gathered the stunned survivors into a defensive perimeter. Under increasing enemy automatic weapons and grenade fire, he moved around the perimeter, distributing water and ammunition to his weary men, reinstilling in them a will to live and fight. Facing a buildup of enemy opposition with a beleaguered team, Sergeant Benavides mustered his strength and began calling in tactical airstrikes and directing the fire from supporting gunships to suppress the enemy's fire and so permit another extraction attempt. He was wounded again in his thigh by small arms fire while administering first aid to a wounded team member just before another extraction helicopter was able to land. His indomitable spirit kept him going as he began to carry his comrades to the craft. On his second trip with the wounded, he was clubbed from behind by an enemy soldier. In the ensuing hand-to-hand -hand combat, he sustained additional wounds to his head and arms before killing his adversary. He then continued under devastating fire to carry the wounded to the helicopter. Upon reaching the aircraft, he spotted and killed two enemy soldiers who were rushing the craft from an angle that prevented the aircraft door gunner from firing upon them. With little strength remaining, he made one last trip to the perimeter to ensure that all classified material had been collected or destroyed and to bring in the remaining wounded. Only then, in serious condition from numerous wounds and loss of blood, did he allow himself to be pulled into the extraction aircraft. Sergeant Benavides' gallant choice to join voluntarily his comrades who were in critical straits, to expose himself constantly to withering enemy fire, and his refusal to be stopped despite numerous severe wounds saved the lives of at least eight men. His fearless personal leadership, tenacious devotion to duty, and extremely valorous actions in the face of overwhelming odds were in keeping with the finest traditions of the military service and reflect the utmost credit on him and the United States Army. Sergeant Benedictus, a nation grateful to you and to all your comrades, living and dead, awards you its highest symbol of gratitude for service above and beyond the call of duty, the Congressional Medal of Honor. Welcome to the Instinctive Influencers Podcast, a show where influence becomes one of your tools for success. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Ed Haley. Hi, I'm Brian. And I am Ed. And this is the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. What you heard there was probably one of the most impressive things that I have ever heard in my lifetime. I mean, I have nothing but utter respect for the Roy Benavidez. But you call him the what again, Ed? You don't want to know what I call him. <laughs> <laughs> the man, right? The man, the myth, the legend. Uh, that he is. Yeah. I would tell you what, from the first time I heard about him, I have just been fascinated with what he is and what he did in uh, in history. What do you think? So I was very early. Actually, I don't think I transitioned my degree yet from uh, intelligence studies and then Master Benavidez was introduced into my world, and I did some research. And, of course, my first question was, how is there not a movie about this guy? Oh, we're going to constantly talk about that because that's what I think. Like, they have all these movies about all these other war heroes, and, and when I, this guy deserves his own movie. 
Steven Spielberg, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> or Tom Hanks. Yeah, the, definitely. Um, and so that was one of the things. Like, And then I'm very excited because I'm getting ready to start my eight-week course in Vietnam, which we're going to talk about a little bit today. And I'm hoping I get the opportunity to speak on Mass Sergeant Roy P. Benavidez. Yeah, that's pretty exciting, though. I mean, so what you're saying, your, your, your course, like your next class? Yeah, my next. So because I'm a military history major, my classes are broken down by different conflicts in American history and other periods. So my next class is literally just eight weeks about the Vietnam War. I can't explain enough how I, I personally am ashamed of how they were treated and impressed by how they made the mission happen. Now, there there was some crazy stuff that happened during that time. Um, probably one of the better uh, videos to watch or documentaries about it would be that uh, Ken Burns. Ken Burns, Vietnam. Yes. Yeah, very yeah. good documentary. Yeah, yes. Amazing. I mean, just the story, the way he tells the story from the very beginning. And we're not talking about just the very beginning. We're talking like years and years before when the French were dealing with Vietnam. I mean, and the whole buildup for that along with how we got involved yeah, in the conflict absolutely. and and i'm just i'm all, i'm an awestruck of of some of the stuff that was going on there but really i mean this 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 episode is about vietnam but it's more about roy benavidez and that's why we wanted to play right off the bat you know i read that that uh little piece from the book um and we're going to talk about those, this book a little bit more but then we wanted the listeners to hear the actual citation it's funny because do presidents normally read the citation? Uh, they they don't. But uh, in yeah. this case, absolutely, he had such an impact on the president that he said, "I got this. I need to read this." Uh, absolutely. And there's a lot of other stuff that goes along with it. You know, um, there's stuff about him giving a jar of jelly beans to the Benavides children. Oh, yeah, uh, that was part of the stuff that I was that I read there. You know, the yeah, jar of jelly so. beans. Yeah, uh, so that was pretty uh, pretty interesting when I first read the book uh, about Roy Benavidez. The w- the one I read because there's we're going to talk about that. There's several of them. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and and you know the thing is is you don't you don't really realize what is out there until it's brought to your attention, and that's really why we kind of we decided on this one. This has actually been an episode that we've talked about. Um, goodness, since we started, that was like one of the original. The original titles we wanted to uh, to use was basically about Roy Benavidez and his influence upon the president of the United States at the time. Uh, and I'm, I'm having a hard time finding my note card. <laughs> <laughs> I had it on a note card. Uh, that's all right. But basically, he influenced the president that much that not only did he read the citation, but he also put the medal on him. If you look in history, you, you watch all the ones that happen now, and all, I mean, even in past, that doesn't happen. It, yeah. Well, a lot of times the president will put it on, yeah, but they yeah, don't they read put the it on, citation. But they don't read now, the citation will, too. Yeah. yeah, they will put it on uh, usually, but the citation is something different, and President mm-hmm. Reagan just said, yeah, I have the need to do this. So really spoke volumes of what Master Benavidez did. Right. And and don't don't get me wrong. So President Reagan, yes, he was the one that got to present it. But also Carter was the one who signed for it. It talks about earlier in the book. Yeah. In that same chapter, it does talk about. So, I mean, this was obviously an evolution. Um, and the fact that he finally got it, that was what was a, uh, the, the greatest part of it all. Because all the struggles and trying to get it. You know, I mean, he basically, over and over again, 
he was uh, basically told no, or or they the, whenever it wasn't him really that was putting himself in. It was somebody else putting himself in. But yeah, yeah, and it was not, and so there was a thing that you had to have so many witnesses to an event, and at the time that was a big thing. Uh, is that witnesses they were having issues with it, and then another issue might have might have been the location of the event, at, and that is a big part of them, especially when. So the book that we're going to constantly reference, we're not going to talk about that one first. Let's let me first name off a few of the other titles, and then we'll talk about the book okay. that we're really kind of getting a lot of data from. <laughs> um, so basically, there are four different books that that are out there. First is the Three Wars of Roy Benavidez. Then there's Medal of Honor, a Vietnam Warrior's Story. And then lastly, the, the last Medal of Honor, a True Story of Unbelievable Valor. And, and then actually last is the one that we're going to use. It's called Legend. Um, and Legend is, it, it's mainly about Roy, but there's a lot of other information about other uh, heroes during that time. I mean, it really, now Roy did a lot. He did a massive amount. But there were those who were involved um, in the story that, well, they stuck their neck out too, and they did things, you know. Also, but Roy was—I mean, obviously, he deserved every bit of it. Um, yeah. That book is uh, written by Eric Blim. Is it Blim or Bleem? Blim? Uh, I think it's Blim. Blim, yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, B L E H M. Blim. Yeah. You'll definitely find it. You'll see the name of all through all these, all four of these books in the show notes. But um, this legend is the one that we're taking all of our information from. Other than that, and then other sources on the internet, but. Primarily, my first time I heard about Roy Benavidez was when we did a little thing we used to call uh, oral history brief with our students, and they have to present someone usually. And the first time I heard about, it, I was like, "What? Huh?" It seemed unreal, right? I didn't believe it. I was like, what, "What's this kid?" And to tell you the truth, so these kids that we grade on their their presentation, they, it has to be factual. And after I st- I started hearing this from uh, one of the students, and I was like. Now nah, he made that up. I, I yeah. can't believe that. And you know, and I was I was ready to give him a you know kind of a, a lower grade because of what he was. I was like, no, this has got to be wrong. There's no way. Then I looked it up. I was like, oh my goodness, wow, this is true. I mean, it's just an amazing yeah. story. Um, yeah, I mean he he's a he was a guy from Texas, born uh, many years ago, 1935. Well, 35. Yeah. He was raised actually by his uncle and aunt and their children and his grandfather. Yeah. Uh, because his father died, and then his mother, who had remarried, later died. Uh, a lot of struggle. He had a lot of struggle early in life. You Very know? early. In, but, I mean, how much influence and impact does that have on who he becomes and what's he, what he does, though, right? Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. you know, he learns a work ethic, and he learns the pain, and, and he overcomes that and keeps on moving. Yeah, and, you know, what, what's kind of remarkable about that, because when you say that, one of the things his grandfather said was you don't bring shame to the Benavidez name. That yeah. was that was key. Yeah. And he actually did a couple times, if you remember correctly in that story. It was a couple times within his story. He he you know he did some things that were shameful. But finally it was like a switch turned on. And he was just like, no, I have to bring nothing but honor to my family. And that's really like that was his drive the rest of his life pretty much, if you think about it. I mean he did things all the way all the way up until you know his passing, he was working at hospitals. He was, I mean, he was doing all these different things for orga- other organizations. Never once wanted to take a, a cent from the U.S. government for what he was doing. So talking on that, so 
the influence, right? The influence of your family name. Like, what is that like? What, so for you, like, what influence does your family name have on what you do and how you lead and how you're a father, a husband? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would, it's not so much about my previous, you know, like family past because I don't know much about, like for me, for instance, I don't know right. how you know, but me, it's really like, where does it go from here? You know, I have a son who we carry on the name. I have two daughters um and usually daughters they usually don't carry on the name they kind of they take on the you know their husband right. or, or their spouse's name but the idea behind it to me is like i don't want to tarnish that because that's something that'll be remembered you know uh, yeah yeah no, what about you so my children will actually tell you so you know sometimes this generation they have a problem with i'm worried about what this person thinks and what this person thinks of me and I actually taught my children from a very young age mm-hmm. to take a look. And if they don't have the same last name as you and they're not part of your family, then that's not that important. Now, you want to have an impact. You want to be influential. And you want people to think highly of you. But, you know, oh, that person doesn't like me. Okay, so who mm-hmm. cares? You know, you can emotionally detach from that. You need to worry about what your family thinks and how you make your family look. And my daughter will tell you in a heartbeat that – uh that's very important to her. I've beaten into her head the importance of family. And I have some family that maybe uh, hasn't carried the name the greatest, but I also have cousins that, you know, serve in the military and have served for many. I have one that's been in, I think he's got two years more than me. And, you know, they've done other things. I got a cousin that is a firefighter. And so to me, that's positive impact on my family. So for the ones that have been to prison or have done this or, you know, were involved in drugs, the firefighter cousin helps to make up for that and make the family look better. And I, t- I think family is very, very, very important. Oh, it absolutely is. You think about it. For instance, Ed, how how many Eds are there out there? You There's know? a lot of them. Yeah, I'm the third line in my family alone. Yeah. Ed Haley, <coughs> how many of those are there? Not that as you many. know of, yeah, right? Not as or many. Edward, such and such Haley. You know, when you're in a crowd of people and you're and you're just talking and you, and somebody says something about someone, you hear their first name, you hear their last name, and you're like, oh, I know who that is. Or wait, who is that? And then the next thing it is, you're either reminded if you do know them, you're reminded of either good or bad things that happen. You know. Yeah. But we always want to be, you know, and and that's the whole point behind. You know, like if somebody says Brian, well, any Brian. Hopefully it's not me. You know, Brian yeah. Weber. Oh, wait, hold on. Yeah, I hope I hope it was good things, and that's the kind of thing with Roy Benavides. Yeah, because there's I mean Benavides is uh, not an uncommon name for a Mexican American or a Mexican. It's yeah. not an uncommon name, but Roy, and I like to put that P in there. Roy P Benavides. <laughs> so it's specific, more specific than absolutely. Yeah, and that's what he wanted. He wanted to uh, to basically bring honor upon his name, and he did it. Boy, he did it. I'm Isn't that a throwback you. to the old way of the samurais? No, to have that honor they wanted to have for their family and for their name. Oh, like, absolutely. Was. Just to not disgrace right? them, not absolutely. to uh, not to bring you know to basically always bring honor upon the name. And I mean, and it goes. I mean, from his early childhood all the way through, because we're talking. Um, so before he got this medal of honor, he had a whole strew of other things that were happening, like a whole bunch of things. Matter of fact, no. he knew Westmoreland. Before Westmoreland knew him, yeah. for his Medal of Honor. Yeah. So I was, because I was, fun, I was uh, thumbing through some things and uh, trying to, you know, figure out some stuff about him. And I was like, wait a second, there's a picture of him with Westmoreland. 
Um, but he talks about in his story when he was a younger, I want to say specialist. He was a driver. Is either a specialist or sergeant? And I had, I'd have to look back again. But he was a driver, and he just happened to be the driver. Uh, dri- no, was it? Was he a staff? No, he was a sergeant because yeah. he was trying to get airborne ranger. Yeah, so the driver thing really worked works out for him, right? Like he does use it. Which in the military, I don't know if you've ever been somebody's driver, but usually there's a few perks to it. You know, now when I was a driver, I had this big wooden box on the back of the vehicle. So guess where I slept? In the wooden box, and I was in New York <laughs> in the snow banks, and everybody else is out there freezing, and I was in the wooden box with a propane heater. So, as a driver, there are some perks to it. And um, at the time, Sergeant Benavidez mm-hmm. was looking at those perks as his way to get yeah. something he needed in his career progression. Yeah, because well, he had put in to become airborne multiple times, and it was denied, or or he wasn't given it. And then he just happened to mention uh, what. It, I want to say Westmoreland asked him about it, and then he's like, yeah, I wanted to go airborne, but I haven't been able to. And, like, within a couple months, or no, it wasn't even a couple months, a couple weeks, all of a sudden he has orders to go to Fort Bragg and become airborne. Airborne, yeah. And uh, so, I mean, that kind of started it off for him. Um, later on, he enters Vietnam, and when he does, he basically uh, is going as more of an advisor because there was that point in time where we weren't quite in the war we were advisors. Right. We had a few hundred thousand advisors to Vietnam at the time. Oh, yeah. I don't know the exact number, but there were a few hundred thousand advisors. I'm doing air quotes, but nobody else can see that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so uh, and while he was there as an advisor, um, he stepped on a landmine. Boom. Have yeah. you ever seen that that presentation for where we work at? Where no. they put the sound effects into it. The kid wrote it and... And it really does say boom, like he's yelling boom. It's really strange. You'll have to look it up. It's on there. On where? It's on the, the SharePoint. Oh, I'm going to have to check this yeah. out. I have no idea what you're talking yeah. about. Anyways, so <laughs> not to take from the story, but wow. Um, no, so he steps on a landmine, gets yep. blown up. Uh, basically, he, he breaks his back. And he now cannot, he cannot walk whatsoever. He's brought back to the States, and, you know, he has to go through this whole treatment plan. Down in, uh, in San Antonio. Yep. yep. Back in, in Texas. San Antonio. Yep. Yep. At Brook Army Hospital, I believe it is. Brook Army Hospital. Right. Yeah. Do you want to continue on with the story? Or you want me uh, to? No, you can go. No, no, he goes. He ends up down there in the hospital, and he's pretty much told, like you said, you know, here's what's wrong with you, and you'll never walk again. And then they uh, they start drawing up his medical chapter papers. Basically, Absolutely. his career is finished, like fini. And uh, he does not like that. So he starts to figure out a way to get himself out that hospital. And he makes a deal with the doctor. And the doctor says, hey, if you walk out of this hospital, then I won't process this paperwork. Yeah, but, but we missed a key point because that was kind of towards the end, right? Yeah. He was literally using his chin and his elbows to crawl to a wall. Yeah, and he was putting his back into that wall. Crying. Crying, and he was working until he had the strength to stand because yep. it didn't just happen overnight. Oh, it took a long And he got caught a few times. He even talks about yeah. it in that video that uh, I was going to bring up a little bit later. But he talks about they'd catch him and say, no, you're not supposed to do this, you know, and send him back to bed. And did it stop him? Nope, not nope. one bit. So yeah, he he's training his body to deal with it, and then he starts working, you know, the toe wiggle and all this stuff. But he's literally throwing himself out of this bed onto the hard hospital floor, crawl to the wall, 
mm-hmm. pushing himself up the wall because he doesn't want out the military. He wants to serve his country that badly. Well, he's disgraced uh, by a lot of the things that were going on with the whole flag burnings and basically what he felt was unpatriotic at the time. Um, in addition to that, he was in one of those types of rooms. So during that time frame, it wasn't so much that you had a personal room. It was just you and a roommate. A lot of these rooms were they were built to where you had multiple patients within one room. It was just a long corridor of beds. And a lot of them, what it, what it does talk about is that they were, uh, they were also uh, basically those who were no longer able to use their lower limbs and whatnot. But the funny thing was is they were encouraging him the entire time. Like, they were like, hey, yeah, go, Ben, Roe, go, go, Roy. You know, they were just trying to encourage him to do it because he was showing all this, you know. I mean, can you imagine the influence he had upon them? Yeah, like, because he's – so he's motivating them. I don't know if you've ever been to one of the – like, Landstuhl in Germany is one of the more seriously injured uh, uh, soldiers go there. But, like, he was encouraging these guys who maybe they didn't have any hope. And they're like, oh, this dude is, first of all, they probably thought, this dude's out of his mind. And then they thought, well, if he can do it, why can't I do it? And maybe some of them fought a little harder to get back to Vietnam, to get back to their families. Because in the end, he wanted to go back to Vietnam. Yeah, absolutely. And that was what he came down to. So he finally, he convinced the doctor, like you're saying, he stands up and he walks out. And the yep. doctor literally ripped up his paperwork. He walked out of the hospital uh, July 1966, I believe, that he walked out the hospital. Ready to go back into the battle. Yeah, ready to go back and, and get him some more. Get him some. <laughs> he yeah. went back to Fort Bragg, which is you know home of the Airborne, and, and of course the Special Forces at the time uh, were there. So he goes back to Fort Bragg after that and – Right back to the to the grind to try to get back to Vietnam, and that's and that's what's key and important about this too. You know, it's like the fact that he had that fight in him was what's it's what's so impressive. You know, I mean, you meet you meet people all the time. You know, uh, especially when you're in the service, you, you you tend to run into a lot more people nowadays uh, because you know how long our wars have gone on. You know, right? That right. are that, they're busted up. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's it's I mean, a lot of. Um, wounded you just run into them and and of course medical care is a little better than it was Mm -hmm. in you know in in the 60s and 70s where he got um so his story is still a miracle though like it's still like we haven't even got to the medal honor this isn't he doesn't get the medal honor for stepping on that landmine blowing up no uh while being an advisor no right so now he he returns to fort bragg and he he uh, starts training for it was called the um Studies and Observation Group. It was another elite organization within the military, and he starts preparing yeah. training for that. That's also referred to as SOG. Yeah, SOG. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and with that, that's that's where the whole Special Forces piece come in, because he wasn't Special Forces no. before. No. Yeah, he was actually – so you think about This is a guy who has kind of clawed his way to, to his point and, and – um, Wasn't going to walk crew. again. No, no, no. Yeah, exactly. <coughs> and then still – Basically tried out for special forces and made it. And made it while he was – so he's still in pain. He's not pain-free. It's not like, no. oh, he walked out the hospital, he's cured. He's still pain-free. And then it's, what, 2% of the American population serve in the military, 1%, 2%? It's somewhere yeah, somewhere like 2 maybe 3%. I don't and then know. you take it's point, probably 0.5%, if I had to guess, of that become special forces. 
this guy stepped on a landmine and was blown up, never to walk again. Yeah. And joins and completes the special forces course, which has a high attrition rate. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They don't they don't keep a lot. And you know what before that though? You know he had to get back on airborne status, right? Yeah. Yeah, and you know what he did? He basically penciled his name in to a couple <laughs> jump because he had to do, I think it was like three or four jumps yeah. to be able to and, and when I say jumps, basically he had to get on an aircraft, you know, and and, uh, and jump with a group to show that he's still qualified. So he did it. He they didn't clear him to do it. He basically just put his name on the list and then just kind of snuck in there. Good thing he was pain free. Yeah, pain, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and 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 so he's doing this while he's hurt. He finishes that airborne. Then he goes and does the SOG piece, basically SF. And now he's a, he's one of those guys, you know. He's one of the elite, what we would consider the elite, the one of the impressive people of the world. Because we talk about the attrition rate. I, I'm telling you, I mean, they may have a hundred guys that go through, and this is a lot. This is a lot, basically, a lot like uh, with well, those of you who listen to, you know, Jocko and what he talks about a lot about the Navy SEALs and yeah. and how well that. I'm no, I'm no SF guru. I've known people, I've met people um, throughout my career, but those guys, they're not, uh, you know, they're the real deal. You know, the, yeah. those yeah. are the guys that you're like, wow, hey. Dude. Very much. Yeah. Uh, and if you ever want to find – um, Jocko's had him on, Joe Rogan. Tim Kennedy talks a lot about it. He does a oh, lot of yeah. talking on podcasts. And he's – people may know him from television or UFC. He fought in the uh, UFC for a little while. Is he still specialist. fighting? He is retired from fighting. Is he? Yeah, he's not fighting anymore. He is doing television. But he's still active duty special forces. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, he does all kinds of crazy stuff on TV. You were telling me he was doing this one show looking uh, hard. Well, he's got a link, uh, he's got a show about finding Hitler, but he, now he's got one that's called Hard to Kill, and he puts himself in dangerous situations intentionally. So you know they have a pilot who flies into bad weather. Right. That's a job. Well, he does that. Um, he gets buried alive in an avalanche on an episode. Excuse me. He crashes a helicopter in the Arctic and then survives on a um, piece of ice. Yeah, yeah, no, he's what? he's out of his mind. So, and yeah. he's but that's the type of personality. Yeah, a lot of special forces guys oh, that yeah. I've met. That's yeah. the type of personality they have. They're first of all, they're they're absolutely a type A. They're the dominant guy in the room, but they're yes. not going to tell you they're the dominant guy in the room. No, because they're they're actually. So I've met a lot of them for what I do now, and they're actually pretty humble. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because actually you, you get to teach some during the I, course. Yeah, yeah, I instruct some of them. And, um, yeah, they're humble. And meanwhile, they could kill you four times before you touch the ground. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Now, and, and, you know, I mean, I would tell you that those the, – uh, that's the part is the – you know, they they know how to display humility yeah. um, in many situations. Now, are all of them like that? No, I don't I, – I can't say that. It's just the individuals that I've met. But what we're trying to convey is what – Roy Benavidez was what he was because and I'm gonna tell you when these when these listeners watch his video of when he's basically it's the dinner the night of because they receive the Medal of Honor earlier in the day and then they have a whole ceremonies yeah. and then they have a dinner at night and and usually that's where they have them to stand up and talk and stuff and he explains it I mean he it's just awesome you know it, it saddens me because uh, he died in '98. Right, he passed away in '98, and that's the year I came in the army, and I didn't know of this guy. And it really, like, like I said, man, he should have a movie about him. There should be more about him. Now there are a lot of things named after him, but um, I would now at my age, I would have paid money to go see him speak. 
I would have. Yes, you know what absolutely. I mean? Yeah, speaking absolutely. engagement, I would I mean, go. It's a given. I'm a military history major, but I would too. And, you know, so his impact, like young 25, 30-year-old Special Forces guys, right. they know who Roy Benavidez is. So when we were doing, you were talking about the oral history brief, if I had anybody associated with special, any kind of special operations that was a student of mine, they right. begged to do the presentation on Master Sergeant Benavidez. However, I would have to demonstrate the proper way to do this uh, this presentation. Right. So I did Benavidez. Once I knew who he was and I read the book, Legend, I said, oh, no, you don't have to worry about it. I'm doing yeah. Benavidez. You just watch and learn there, Junior. Yeah, and, and, and that, that's the whole point, too. So anytime I would hear, if they didn't do a good job, I would be upset because I'm like, this guy deserves And it's not to take away from other Medal of Honor winners because there are others. and they're de- It's yeah. just once you read – let me tell you, listeners. Once you read his story from the early time on all the way up through – you're talking about a guy who was, well, hmm. uh, they basically made fun of him because of his race. Um, yeah. They thought he was stupid and he couldn't do this and couldn't do that. And he was just a, a vegetable picker uh, from Texas type thing. And he was like, no, I'm more than that. I'm, my family's more than that. And, you know, it, and that's what that's what's so impressive about him. Like he's, and he that drove him. Honor to his honor for his family. Showing he's not just this whatever stereotype that they're trying to label. Yeah, he's not that. just shoe shiner from some no. rural town in no. Texas somewhere. He was way more than that. Yeah, he and, was he was impressive, yeah. and and then and then to, to go on to do the things he did. I mean, just the fact that the guy was stabbed in the guts with a bayonet, and then continued with hand to hand combat with the Vietnamese. It's you're dying or I'm dying. That type of situation. You think yeah, absolutely you or me, and you're gonna lose every time. Like I'm, I'm I not- mean, you, you you know you think about the stuff. He got blown up. And what, no, so he got blown up. But then later on, during the Medal of Honor, during the the period the actions. that the yeah. actions for you know for the citation, he got blown up. He had shrapnel throughout him. Yeah, I think I read earlier he has five Purple Hearts. Yeah, and five. he had like thirty-seven bayonet. Um, Lacerations? Wounds. Yeah. 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 No, he he is like just thinking about it. And so he made me ask a question one time. I said, I asked uh, one of one of our student, young students, I said, do you think we have those kind of heroes in the military today? And, and I personally believe we absolutely do. Now, maybe oh, yeah. to that extreme, like this dude is like, yeah, you know, adrenaline. Like if I seen his actions, I'm thinking, especially during Vietnam, I'm thinking, okay, he's on some kind of opioid. Or he's on something because he just kept going like a machine. Didn't and, stop. And didn't stop. And, and during that period, you know, it was very common to be using heroin and stuff, yeah. unfortunately, over there. So, yeah, you know, that's the kind of performance he put on is like, oh, he's got to be under the influence of something. There's no way a human's responding but, like but that. But nothing. And nothing. He, yeah. He was, he, was just, he was just in it to win it. He was going to live through this. And the crazy thing about it was is he wasn't even supposed to be there. He was not supposed to be. So I wish I had the names. It bugs me. So the guy, this would happen. So he was doing a mission. This is earlier before all this. He was doing a mission and uh, him and another guy were being extracted by helicopter on the ropes. Right. And their ropes tangled. And those ropes will eventually start causing friction, burn, and drop. A guy in the helicopter goes down to the ropes where they're, tangled while Benavidez and the other guy are hanging there and he untangles them. He pulls these ropes apart. Well, 
The reason he was there for the Medal of Honor is he was just in the area and he was listening to the radio traffic of the firefight that was going on. And he heard the guy's voice who had saved him. Yep. It was such, oh, that was the guy. He even talks about it in that video. He's like, oh, that was the guy. Yeah, I got to go. And he, he didn't even grab a weapon. So we're talking influence again, right? Absolutely. That guy so, so that other guy, life, that so. other guy influenced Roy. Yeah, to made go, him go in there. Wow, with you know? a with a knife. We have like a knife. A uh, he had an a bag, and that was uh, no. He didn't even take a. He didn't take a weapon. He didn't take yeah, a, a no. machine gun. He didn't take a an M. Uh, uh, Would have been a forty five then. He didn't take any of that stuff. Nope. And he found a, a helicopter that was in need of a belly man or an aid man. Yep. And he's like, "Hey, I'm going." Yeah. Right. You, hey, do you mind if? No, no, no. Hey, I'm going. Uh, and and man, I I bet you if just listen to his story and, and reading his bio his uh, biography, I don't think he regrets that choice. No, and that's and that's really I mean that's primarily the reason why we want to talk about him. We want to bring light to him. I mean, when you read the things he he was able to do, I'm just I'm telling you, I do not. You could take this book, Legend, that right there. That's a screenplay. Absolutely, yeah. You know what? Absolutely. And 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 the type of people that could play that role, they're out there. I know they are. I mean, yeah. if you when you see these young Roy Benavides, you can actually see the actor that should play that part. And, and you know, it's funny too. Like, all right, so I've, most of the pictures I've seen of him are you know after and when he gets the medal heavy of honor set. and stuff. Heavy set guy, right? So when you read what he did and you read the citation, you're thinking, oh, this is a Dwayne Johnson guy. But I don't think it was. I think this was a oh, normal, yeah. average dude that just did an above-average uh, thing. Like I, I really do. But you think of uh, you also think of maybe like, oh, that's Rambo. No, yeah, no, that's yeah. not now, Rambo. They, Rambo could loosely be based off of this guy. Like uh, oh, easily. Was, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just, but that's the whole point behind it. Is like there's so much that went on with this guy from the time he was young. I mean, when you tell me the guy didn't have a mom and dad. He was raised by other family members. Yeah. And then you tell me that, you know, he met this beautiful woman, or he considered to be beautiful. I mean, anyone would be considered. I mean, she was she was by his side. She's she an yeah. army wife, so she's probably a beautiful woman because, I mean, to support us and support uh, what we do, especially a yeah. special forces guy. Easily. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, yeah. I, I would definitely say that. Um, to go through all those different things, to um, the injuries and whatnot, and then still push and drive, and then, and then hearing – that a buddy who just happened to save your life uh, was in danger, and now you're like, no, I got to be there. And then you go in. It was six hours of hell, they called it. Yes, six hours. Six That'd hours. be a good movie title. Oh, absolutely. I'd, I'd you know? go. That'd I'm, make me go see it just the title. Oh, I wonder what that's about. Yeah. Is that a horror movie? Like, uh, But no, like, well, it was. I guarantee you Benavidez at the time and the guys he was there with, they felt like it was their own personal horror movie. I guarantee it. Oh, absolutely. And so he goes in six hours. He repositions all these people. Yep. So when he goes in, they're not in a defense. Well, they're in a def- somewhat of a defense, but they're not in the right defensive position to be able to create, you know, uh, to basically create a perimeter. So he creates a perimeter with these people. He then directs fire to certain areas. Oh, did I mention earlier he didn't bring a weapon? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, he didn't. He was using other weapons that he just happened to find, right? Yeah. And every time they they penetrate the perimeter, he would try to take some take them out. I mean, and then 
and he's securing clear, uh, security clearance stuff. Um, he's securing secret secret documents, documents. yeah, and information at the same time. So not only am I in a firefight, my life is in danger. I've already been wounded because he gets wounded pretty much immediately after he jumps out the helicopter. Yeah. he jumped like like right? ten feet, ten feet, and then yeah. gets shrapnel immediately from a grenade. He gets shot. Not only is all this going on. But oh, by the way, I have to secure the secret documents too. Yeah, because like, he clarity. wasn't because he wasn't where he was. He was in Cambodia. They weren't supposed to be there. Yeah, no, we were not supposed to be in Cambodia yeah. at all. And so that's why I think it took so long. To, yeah, they were trying to cut off. I, I mean, so be it. They were probably trying to cut off the you know the different secret. But pathways. we would have to. So for him to get the Medal of Honor when he should have, we right. would have to admit. That we were wrong and in the wrong place at the time. And at the time, yeah. and and that just wasn't gonna happen at that moment. Uh, aircraft try to land to save them or try to get them out. Yeah, goes he down. Helped, he helped load it. Well, the one, the one. Oh no, that's the next. The one. first one goes down. Yeah. <laughs> the second one, he loads it, and in his. Oh, I love it when he says it too, because I get goosebumps every time I listen to it. He says, "I just loaded everything around, but I loaded like seven or eight dead." enemy or three dead enemy i can't yeah, remember the North exact number enemies. yeah he he actually <laughs> loaded enemy into this um and then what really what really is the impressive part is because he was he had dried blood all over his face i mean he was he was battled pretty bad um he said that his eyes were pretty much sealed shut yeah but they were checking him and he could hear them and the doc or whoever it was that was observing said oh yeah he's dead and someone's like, no, that's Roy Benavidez. No, he's he's okay, you know. And they were zipping him up in a body bag. This dude just went through this. They're zipping him up. He knows it. He feels it. Yeah. But he can't say anything because he's so just drawn. I mean, you spend... Kind of buried alive almost, right? Like, pretty much. And they get close enough, and the guy's face is kind of above it, and Roy spits on him. Yeah. That's how they knew he, he was still alive. Face. That's how they knew he was still alive. Yeah. But so the, the six hours of hell, right? Right. Um, leading leading to him being hurt so bad. So you're talking about, so it was like a 13-man, 12-man squad plus Roy. Right. Versus a battalion, right, of North Vietnamese. And I don't know what a battalion was made up of at that point, but now you're talking a battalion. You're talking, what, four or 500 what do you think about soldiers? It? Let's just say each company, let's say each company has four platoons. Four platoons times, let's say, 32. You know? Yeah. So you think about that, and then there's usually four comp, four to five companies, usually five companies within the battalion. Yep. So, so and you it's do- that large of an element versus 13 dudes. And yeah, that would be why it would be called six hours of hell. Like a six-hour firefight, 13 versus, like I said, probably 400. Hey, you're about 640. 640 to 800 probably. Um, yeah. You know, somewhere in there. But that's, that's a lot of people that they had to fight off, 12 yeah, guys. So, and, and the helicopter, you know, like when you read the account, just caked in blood, blood everywhere. So, of course – Benavides just looks like a corpse, and then they're pulling people off and they're finding North mm-hmm. Vietnamese, which is it's funny, but it's not funny. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. just gave it all. I mean, and honestly, I mean, his, his intestines were hanging out. Yep. You know, so really, to say, oh, he's dead. Like, I mean, the, you would think that if he, because he basically he just he says he collapsed in a in a copter, uh, and and I can see it, they probably thought that that he was just dead. And he just and he probably passed out. He probably didn't even realize it, you know? Oh, yeah. Once that adrenaline kind of stopped and the, the blood yeah. loss. Like, Come yeah. on. So, but, uh, you know, so he gets in the copter. Um, 
and you know things they do save you know save him and, and actually he didn't lose any limbs um didn't lose eyesight didn't and his intestines nope. was fine i mean he actually he lives for a decent life um i mean so he was actually initially awarded the distinguished service cross which is is an honor it is an it honor it is an honor it is an honor but he deserved more yeah and he deserved more and there was uh there was a particular um uh reporter in for uh down in uh Texas that was pushing this he was pushing it left and right. Like he was pushing it more than anybody else. Yes, from from his hometown. Yeah, because he's like, wait a minute. And he he, like, he wrote up the story. Yep. It went national, and it went beyond. Yeah, the AP picked it up. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, his buddy is the one the the one person that they really needed an eyewitness account from. He found out, and uh, when you read in the book and you see what what it talks about. Um, he actually, he, uh, him and, I mean, he, he and Roy, they were, they were pretty close. I yeah, mean, and they, yeah. and so they believed the other was dead. Yeah. Yeah. That was so a the key, whole that, time. Like this guy's gone and I, he was in, in, on an Island or something when he saw the article and, uh, he believed Roy had died in combat and Roy believed he had died that day. And he found out that, you know, that just wasn't the case. And that Roy was not recognized as he probably should have been. And, of course, this guy owes his life to Roy because he's one of the ones, you know, that Roy pulls out. <coughs> and uh, he is the, the the one that gets the ball rolling really to help him. O'Connor. Brian O'Connor. Yeah. That's his name. All right. So, Brian, this, hey, this is what he says. He says, now that O'Connor had been found, he was awash in emotions and memories. I'm writing a statement on what happened that day, he said to Roy. So this is the conversation he had to Roy. When they read what I'm going to write, you're going to get the Medal of Honor, Roy. I'm going to see to it. So okay. Brian O'Connor was that was his guy. That was his that was his true account, the guy that was there the whole time with him. Roy thought Brian was dead. Brian thought Roy, Roy was, was dead. dead. They didn't even know. He was actually somewhere else. He was uh, in Fuji. He was living or Fiji. In, he was living in Fiji and he was yeah. on vacation in, I believe, Australia. Yeah. And when he found out about yeah. this. And when that happened, it was just Brian O'Connor was like, he was just ready to do whatever he could to ensure Roy got that. Not, oh, you know, hey, look at me. He was worried about Roy. So what kind of influence did Roy have on Brian? Yeah, because, I mean, he was thankful for one. They saved his life, and he absolutely knew what Roy did that day. He probably laid there somewhere in a bloody heap watching as Roy put them in defensive positions, as he loaded each individual American on that helicopter, as he loaded these North Vietnamese, as he got attacked and bayoneted by another one. This guy may have seen who knows what, right? I've never been able to find the account that he wrote that helped with the uh, case to get him the Medal of Honor, <clears throat> so it'd be interesting. I'd I'd be interested in seeing that. Like, what yeah. did he write? What did he actually see that day? Yeah, absolutely. That and in the crazy, like, so uh, just just to read a little bit from this book right here, uh, basically, because I talk about he, you know, he was going to write this for Roy, and he begins with this statement on the events that happened on second May, nineteen sixty eight, is given as evidence to assist the decision made on awarding the Congressional Medal of Honor to Master Sergeant Roy Benavidez. Because of the classified nature of the mission, some important details will be left out, which should not in any way affect the outcome of the award. 
And then later on, in the same, same area. Like Roy, O'Connor was bound by the 13-year oath of silence he had signed in 1967. He couldn't disclose even a decade after the war any information on SOG or the classified locations of its operations. So he simply put that his team had been inserted west of Loch Nim. <laughs> west of. Yeah, west yeah. of Loch Nim. Um, he wasn't even allowed to talk about this, but he was determined to write it masterfully, you know, to the point where he knew this guy deserved this. And that's this. why I said it would be interesting to know what he really saw, what he really wrote about that day. Would really help with our uh, our idea to get somebody to make this movie. Oh yeah, I'm telling you right now. Um, that I already said it once. I'll say it again. The book Legend alone, just Legend. It's called Legend, but alone, this book is good enough to make a movie. Yeah. And if it's not made into movie, I'm <coughs> telling you, you know what? We should we should do a, like a GoFundMe and then find the right ad, the the right uh, the right director and say, hey, listen, please make this. I don't care what it takes, you know, because it, it would be amazing. <sighs> I'm just saying, man, this guy, I mean, you you can't explain it enough unless you hear it from him. I'll tell you what, y'all need to really get on YouTube and you need to look it up. Um, basically, Roy, wa, uh, he, he did a little speech after we talk about it. Um, if you look up, just go into YouTube and you search Master Sergeant, then Staff Sergeant, Roy P. Benavidez. You'll find a 28 and 25 second. 28 minute, 25 second video. And this is Roy. This is him basically, you know, giving the account of what happened and how things went. But he starts it off early in life and then he just pushes forward. Uh, you, you just, you know, and then obviously earlier you heard, you know, how President Reagan, he read out that citation. Uh, that just doesn't happen, man. Um, and Roy deserves the, uh, he really deserves, I mean, obviously he's not around anymore because he had passed away in 98. Um, you know, he lost. He, you know, he's lost his life uh, at that time. Uh, actually, where was it? I wanted to. I actually wanted to look at what it was that he, you know, his passing. Because you know, the fact that you know he passed away. Uh, let's see. Yeah, Roy Benavidez died on November 29th, 1998, at the age of 63 at Brook Army Medical Center, having suffered respiratory failure and complications of diabetes. Big guy had diabetes, man. Yeah. yeah. His body was escorted to St. Robert Bellamer Catholic Church where he had married. Uh, his three children were married, and he attended Mass every Sunday. That's crazy. Uh, his body was then returned to Fort Sam Houston's uh, main chapel for a public public viewing. Family friend, uh, family friend Archbishop Patrick Flores of the Archdiocese of San Antonio presided over a Catholic funeral mass at San Fernando Ca Cathedral located in San Antonio. Uh, he was buried with full uh, military honors at Fort Sam uh, Houston National Cemetery. That's just, man, guy to go through all that. He died of respiratory failure and complications of diabetes. diabetes. Man, yeah. it took that to take him down, you know. Uh, but you, you, can't, you can't describe it enough at the kind of guy that he was. Um, I mean, you know, obviously there's multiple books. We talked about it. You can watch the videos. Uh, they, they, they've even got some, um, for those of you who don't know what these are, the Armed Forces Network. It's usually like TV 
that the, the military puts on. It's, it's by all the services, but they even have these really cool little uh, commercials about him and videos. So it's, it's, pre- it's pretty nifty to see that. So they also, this is interesting too, because I've been trying, I want it, but I won't spend the money for it. Uh, G.I. <clears throat> Joe honored him, right, with a, with a Roy P. Benavides commemorative uh, edition G.I. Joe in 2001. And really? he, was, he was the first Hispanic to be honored. That's crazy. Yeah. So, and it's, it's a couple hundred dollars on Amazon, um, but it looks just like him. But That's, yeah, I haven't added that to my collection just yet. Yeah. I mean, you know, and he did a lot of, he did a lot of stuff though, even after he got out. No, he, he just was, retired. And then what we do, just, we just retire and that's it. No. No, not this guy. No. Absolutely no. not. Not, a, not one bit. In 1983, Benavides told the press that the Social Security Administration planned to cut off disability payments he had been receiving since his retirement, as well as disability payments for thousands of other veterans. He went to Capitol Hill and pleaded with the, the House Select Committee on, a, uh, on Aging to abandon their plans, which they finally did. <coughs> So he he fought for soldiers. He fought yeah. for all of them. Yeah, you know? they're gonna cut retirement. So first of all, how'd you like to be the guy that calls him and says, "Uh, Mr. Benavides, yeah, we're we understand you have thirty seven bayonet wounds, but we're going to cut your disability. Is that okay? Like, yeah. who who call who even thinks that? Like, look yeah. at this guy's record, and then you go, hey, let's call and cut his stuff off. Uh, and, and no, but he fought. So he so he's still fighting, right? Like this is and that years was two later. years. That was two years after he got the Medal of Honor. Which, yes. He got the Medal of Honor in 81. Yep. In 83, he's fighting for benefits for soldiers. What the? What were they thinking? Yeah. It's Absolutely. just crazy. 13 years after his actions. Yeah. So now, now you're... It's crazy to me. Um, he also, like, obviously, so he became a very... And if you watch the videos that we're talking about, he became a very much uh, in-demand speaker. People wanted to hear him speak, and he wanted to speak, and he did that for a while. Uh, for the military, of course, schools, civic groups, and, and businesses as well, which is kind of a thing now with a lot of veterans we see get out right. in our generation. You know, we we talk about Jocko frequently, and he does that. And, he does. You know, a lot of a lot of guys get out or gals they get out, and that's what they turn to is kind of leadership development of organizations or public speaking. Well, it's, it's, it's skills that they, they've developed, you know. <laughs> What's that movie taken? I've got a particular set of skills. <laughs> but no, I mean, in serious, if you yeah. think about it, man, I mean, it's the skills that he developed over his time. I mean, that's not something that you just, you teach. It took time to cultivate that, and he was trying to pass it on. Uh, one of those key things, you mentioned schools. Like, he constantly preached about the importance of an education. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, he dropped out of school. Which he actually said he regrets. Fifteen years old, he dropped out. Yeah, you know, um, to help support the family because he didn't have any interest in it. He just didn't think it was important. Well, when you read in the book later on, he started struggling with that. By the way, and if you didn't, uh, we didn't mention this already. He was also a linguist, so he had to learn another language. Yes, <laughs> too. Which is, if you know, he knew he, Spanish. Obviously, he knew uh, English. Um, he learned, um, goodness, I think he learned, he learned German. Um, and then he learned a couple, like two other languages. Cause he says it, he, you know, he says it during that video, but for a guy who dropped out at 15, yeah, that's impressive. Yeah. And he forced himself like, when you read about it, you know, in the book, he talks about, you know, like going, uh, working late 
with other guys because he was worried about being washed out, and he just he said, "No, I can't. I can't be a washout. I can't fail." So now we're back to my favorite theme: lifelong learning. So he is learning throughout his life. He's steadily learning. He gets out the military and he starts doing these speaking engagements and he's fighting for these, uh, for them not to cut disability. Well, he has to learn. Now he's got to learn politics and he's got to learn how he can handle this stuff. And he's learning languages. So here we have this hero and he understands that he has, learning is a continual thing. Yeah, that's absolutely. I mean, you can't, you can't just stop. You know, it's not like, well, life's, you know what? Life hasn't taught me everything I need to know. No, I'm perfect. Yeah, yeah no. no such thing. Absolutely. You, you know, you gain, you gain. You know, I, I, I learned from my kids. They're seven and five. I yeah. learned it, a lot of things. Okay, <laughs> some of the things I don't want to talk about on, you know, <laughs> over the air. But you know, it's just, it's funny. People will get so stuck in their ways. Um, we talked about our favorite books uh, the other day um, on one of the other podcasts, and one of them was it was the you know uh, the uh, you know the book Jocko does with Leaf, uh, Le- yeah, Leaf, and one of the key things he talks about in that is ego. Yes, yeah, very. I important. sense no massive ego with Mister Benavides, Master no. Sergeant Benavides. No, it wasn't like he jumped in his helicopter and goes, "I'm gonna save the day." No, no, I'm going out here and I'm gonna do the best that I can. He knew when he got in that helicopter, he probably wasn't coming back. Oh yeah, he knows it. But so, he was going to try. Yeah, he was going to try to save somebody. Where you know, if he had this inflated ego, he jumps in there and goes, "I'm the only thing that can save the day. I'm going to save him." And it, that yeah. wasn't what he did. He jumped no. in there to save lives. But he he knew he yeah. knew it was a good chance he was not coming back. And you and you can tell when he does talk about the situation, like his he makes fun of himself a little bit. You know, he understands <laughs> what humility is. Um, and that's the whole point. Like you think about in today, you know, just in today's society, like ego, man, it, it can really sidetrack an organization, you know, it can, and it's not always a terrible thing, right? It's not always a terrible thing. No, competition through ego is fun sometimes. Yeah. My wife is not, well, now I've not, I'm a little older, but, uh, when I was younger, I used to play basketball a lot. My wife would, she couldn't watch. Because your ego got too big. My ego court. just got a little large. We used to play a lot when I was at Fort Hood. We used to play every Saturday. A lot a group of guys would get together from work. Like 20 dudes would be out there. Uh, and I can say dudes because there wasn't any females. I was in a maintenance platoon. We really didn't have yeah. any females at the time. And we would go out there and just play basketball. And I, if I'm on, like I'm making my shot, right? Yeah, I'm just an ugly person. And my <laughs> wife says, yeah, I'll never be coming back because I don't like the person you turn into when your ego gets inflated. So. Yeah. And that's the thing, though, you know, yeah, in the spirit of competition. But and it's it's not a, like a terrible thing, but it's controlling your ego, yes. recognizing it, right? Yeah. So I mean, he definitely had control over his ego, and, and he did. Roy knew, you know, hey, I'm going out here, and it is what it is from here. But um, so ego is something we learned from him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, humility, humility, perseverance. Um, yeah, the his Man, drive. That that drive, and I love drive. And I mm-hmm. I tell my daughter all the time. She's in college now, and and she'll be, oh, this is hard, and that's hard. And I'm like, you just you have a drive. Yeah, you just need to use it and keep pushing. And, and her freshman year, I, I knew she was gonna quit, and she she didn't. And now she's in her second year, and it's like, oh, this isn't hard at all. Well, why is it not hard? Because she drove through that hard part, and then she found the other side. And, and Roy very much, 
he knew it was going to be hard to get out of that hospital. He yeah. knew it. And, and he then, still did. But he did. He could have e- just as easily said, I'm not flopping out this bed tonight. I've had enough. I'll yeah. let them. I'll let them put me out the middle. Let me get some more ice cream, nurse. You yeah, know, so. No, but he, he had to drive. Um, I think another thing, too, is uh, his, I would say, undying want to um, help others. Yeah, yeah. F- help others from the time he was young and the yep. time till the time he passed. He yeah. wanted to do something for someone else other than himself. Are you saying it's bigger than just you? Oh, yeah. I mean, that might fall into the ego thing, but it's the idea that he wanted to help someone. Yeah, you got to step you know? outside. And, and even today when I have, I just spoke to a young soldier that we worked with, and I tell them, sometimes you got to step out your comfort zone and go help somebody else. Oh, you yeah. have to. And it makes you a better leader and a better person. Yeah, I, and that's the whole point. Like, you know, he wanted, you know, in the beginning, he wanted to help his family, so he quit school. Well, he kind of quit school because he lost interest in it, but he still did something to want to help. And then he joined the army because he knew he could make more money, and he was, you know, he'd be good at, it, you know, uh, he tells, pay. yeah, well, yeah, that was part of the reason why he went. He's like, oh, I didn't know I'd get fifty. Uh, they said I'd get fifty more dollars, so I went airborne. You know, yeah. um, so you know, it's, there was a little bit of self, you know, payment there in a sense. You know, he was paying himself, but the idea that. He wanted to um, help his buddies. He wanted to uh, continue to help America by serving as you know an honorable soldier. He wanted to help children after this, long after this, by talking to them in school and getting them. He wanted to help service members by volunteering at hospitals, driving them around, doing stuff. That, I mean, there's there's organizations now. I've got a friend. Um, he was a Vietnam vet. Uh, Marshall Van is his name. Great guy guy would give you a shirt off his back he's a vietnam vet uh he drives for that dav um basically he he just takes his vehicle and drives around and he picks up veterans and takes them to their appointments where they got to go and it's because they had uh they had done something you know he'd received a check uh because of you know his disabilities and stuff like that and he no joke ed this is what he said to me he said i didn't feel right about receiving that check so I had to do something. So he volunteered his time <laughs> to drive people around. He want, he felt like that was a pay of some sort, and he had to earn it, you know. Um, yeah. But Roy was kind of the same way, if you think about it. Um, you know, go to speaking to kids. I mean, he he passed away, obviously, uh, and he wasn't, you know, in, in in today's idea, he was. I mean, he was sixty three. That's, I mean, that's not that old, you know. Yeah, and it so really the events isn't. don't end his career either. Like oh, no, he gets no, no. promoted, so when he, when he, the events occur, he's staff sergeant. He said, "Yes, he gets promoted two more times, so he sticks around for a little while after, yeah, suffering all those wounds uh, in Cambodia. So he, he he kept giving back to his country. He he still wasn't ready to retire. Yeah, I mean to to make it all the way through, you know, as uh, as a master sergeant. I mean that uh, I." I can tell you right now, it's insane. He, uh, he did retire. He returned home in '76. Yeah, he retired in '76. '76 as a mass sergeant. Yeah, he but he joined um, in '55. Yeah. But he oh, oh oh I take that back. He originally joined in '52 because he was part of the Army National Guard. Oh, he was I forgot first. about to yeah. talk about that, but yeah. that was on, his first thing. Yeah, he comes back and he goes. On, so you think about it, so he gets he gets wounded in '68. And he and he does eight more years, eight more years. There are soldiers that don't do eight years healthy. This guy got severely wounded, pretty much on his deathbed. Twice. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. twice. Yeah, and he still served 
till 76. So amazing. Yeah, you Actually, can't. just give it back to his country as best he could. He he was a uh, he just paid he he didn't pay the ultimate sacrifice because he survived somehow, but uh, he sacrificed. He sacrificed a lot for this country, and that's why I think honestly, all right, the movie would be fun. But he deserves that recognition. Just like when they fought to get him the Medal of Honor. Right. You know, they had to fight. He deserves the recognition. He should, when we talk about great military leaders, we talk about Patton, we talk about SLA Marshall, we talk about Eisenhower, George Washington. We talk about George Washington. We talk about Storm and Norman Schwarzkopf. Oh, yeah. Benavides should be in that conversation. Oh, easily. He should be in there. Well, they talk about, uh, often Audie Murphy's one of those ones that they talk about, right? Yeah. Benavides should be right there with in him. In that conversation. Because the things that he was able to, you know, and, and you said that. It's like, we said he should have a movie. I, and I'm constantly reminded by that same thing that uh, that Reagan said. You are going to hear something you would not believe if it were a movie script. Wait until you hear the citation. Yeah. It's like I read earlier. You're not going to believe that. Yeah. And it's like, wow. It's just amazing. So, uh, and, and it, like, so in his community, yeah. So you know they still use something in the Special Forces community. So oh it's not yeah, yeah. the radio. Say, uh, the radio. His call, call sign, sign was the Mad Mexican, yeah, or Tango Mike Mike. So when all heck breaks loose and it's just everything's hitting the fan and we're in a firefight and it's just serious, that is the call sign for that Tango, Tango Mike, Mike Mike. That yeah. lets them know that pretty much the situation he went into is what's occurring on ground in Afghanistan or Iraq or whatever. So, and I've talked to some guys and they don't use it as frequently, but they do know what it means. It's kind of gone to the wayside a little bit, but yeah, the mad Mexican. That's, that's awesome. Well, we've kind of, we've discussed a lot about Roy Benavidez and I will tell you this. If there's anybody out there that's got some pull to bring this guy, really bring him to the you know the the silver screen, so to speak. Um, <laughs> please do so. But really, um, this is our this is our last like live podcast for right now. Just he and I sitting in the same place. Um, after this, you know they they roll out tomorrow, and then a lot of ours is going to be done over the air. So it's kind of crazy. We're we're doing this you know this one. Uh, we have. Uh, much more in the works, you know. We're gonna try to um, try to do some more interviews uh, with people. We're gonna we may it may be sometimes we do a show where it's just him that he does a show, or I just do a show, or we do a show together. And uh, but what we want to do is we kind of keep the essence of this. And I will tell you, Roy Benavides is a por- important person. We talked about Hackworth, you know, on his part. You know, it's funny. Did you know? You know, he was here in the hundred first. Who's that? Uh, Hackworth. Carl Hackworth. Yeah. Was he? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. I knew Jimi Hendrix was. I didn't know Hackworth was. <laughs> yeah. But I but I looked at him and I, I thought it was crazy. And and uh he was in a three two seven. So oh, yeah. that's interesting. That's yeah, you weird. ask you ask any of them, they don't know that. And see, I, I think we lose some of that and, and maybe again I might be a little biased because I love military history, but yeah. I think we it's so when I was a young soldier, oh I gotta learn the history for the you know, promotions. And now that I'm more seasoned, I'm yes. not going to say old, a seasoned <laughs> soldier, now I understand the importance. Yeah. Now, what I, now my challenge is, how do I make my young soldier understand that importance too? Because in Special Forces, Mass Sergeant Benavides is important, and they understand who he is. Oh, Even the young guys, they understand 
who he is. Yeah. So why do we? I mean, we know the band of brothers here. We we understand that, but what about other guys like Hackworth that was here? So yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, and and that's what and that's you know so. Each show, we try to throw something out there we want you to do. So one of the things we want you to do is, if you know of one that you really think is important, why don't you, uh, why don't you put them on our Facebook page, talk about them a little bit. Um, you know, obviously you can, you can drop a line about them and then and throw out some, uh, some tidbits that way people want to be more interested in those people because there are those heroes out there and they don't just have to be military heroes. They could be uh, heroes um, that have done so much for society and they're just overlooked. That's what we want. We that's your call to action. You need to get out, you know, get out there and, you know, put that on there. Um, the other thing is, is make sure you go on, you like and share everything that we've got going on with this podcast. Because the more, the more that others hear it or hear about it, the more they can hear about these great stories about great Americans like this. Uh, that that we can spread the word, uh, and we can kind of make this instinctive influencer thing grow. And that's what we want. We want it to grow. Absolutely. And it's not for personal benefit, but we want it to grow as a more of a community type thing. And, and, and that way, more people are sharing information with each other and helping each other learn. Yeah, uh, I, I agree 100%. And I'm going to throw out one little, because you know normally we throw out uh, websites, whatever. So if you are a Facebook user, there is a Medal of Honor recipients Facebook page that if you like, they post Medal of Honor stories all the time with citations and maybe a picture, different things. They post them frequently. It's very interesting sometimes to have. It's a quick read. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, wow, like this person is incredible. Maybe I want to see if there's a book. And maybe they, too, are lacking that movie that they yeah. should have had. Yeah. A lot of YouTube videos out there. Because, yeah. you know, I got I got stuck in that um, that web of like you click on one video and then you have another video and I I'm telling you I probably spent half a day one day once just watching. Well, and it's very easy now too. Yeah, it is. I mean, I honestly, reality TV and stuff has taken over, and you can watch something like that and yeah, it's it's interesting and and you can really cater it to you and yep. yeah. yeah, absolutely. So what we don't have much more to to cover uh, here today, and plus we've got some uh, we got some. We're going to go break bread here because we got some food waiting downstairs. But we want to thank you very much for listening to the show. Uh, we really do enjoy um, having listeners out there and, and to be able to share the information that we can. Uh, with that, I am Brian. And I am Ed. And this is the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. Thank you. Thank you.